the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. Matthew 25. Because yesterday in Matthew, uh, G- let's just reflect again where we are. Jesus has entered in Jerusalem. We have Matthew 25, 26, 27, 28. So we have four chapters left. So one of those four chapters happens today, and then there's three chapters left. And obviously, in those three chapters, Jesus is crucified and rise again. So we're getting very, very close to the end. Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's teaching. And then he spends two chapters talking about the end of time. Yesterday, we spent a lot of time looking at um, millennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism, the end times, and all that sort of thing. Because Jesus said, as he walked by the temple, that the temple would be, that not a stone would be left, uh, that the temple would be destroyed. But Jesus, we know, is the new temple. Uh, and then he talked a little bit about what the end is going to look like. And he was not very clear. He did not pull out a textbook and start itemizing everything about what the end was going to be like. But he gave us enough to have a foretaste that there is going to be an end uh, and that there is going to be um, a coming of Jesus at the end of time. And it's going to be a wonderful, glorious time that we all look forward to. Uh, so while he didn't provide a lot of detail, at least we have hope that at some point the end will come. Uh, and then today in Matthew 25, Jesus is going to provide a little bit more clarity about what we should be doing while we're waiting for that end to come. And uh, he gives us some pretty strong words. Now, I have to say that um, I, I've been thinking all morning as to how to present this, and I'm still not entirely sure, but I'm going to give it my best shot. When Jesus came into this earth as a flesh human being and started healing and teaching and all those things, what he was doing was showing us as humans how we should understand the kingdom, how we should understand our life and the life that God has given us. Uh, what we should be doing while we live in the kingdom. These are things that Jesus not only taught about uh, and preached about, but gave an example, like when he was healing or when he talked about what we should be doing as members of the kingdom. So in today's uh, chapter 25, in today's teaching, you have to remember that he came to talk about the kingdom. So what he's going to talk about today is what we should be doing if we're living in the kingdom how should we be living our life so that we're ready when the king comes, when the bridegroom comes back again at the end of time? What should that look like? Now, we know uh, from Paul, who, who came after Jesus, that being in the kingdom uh, has a lot of theological richness surrounding it uh, that we we talk about a lot when we're looking at the letters of Paul or when we're talking about justification or sanctification or being uh, you know, a follower of Jesus Christ, being firmly ensconced in the church. Uh, but Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't talk about that today. Jesus today talks about um, what we should be doing to be preparing ourselves for when the bridegroom re- returns. And it's pretty harsh words. As a matter of fact, These are probably some of the most harsh words that you will find in Scripture, maybe even equaling that of the Old Testament. Because Jesus is 
is telling us what he wants his church to do. As a church, we're just not supposed to sit around and do nothing. Uh, if you'll remember the, the Great Commission, which comes later on, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So those are, those are words too, but these are predating that those words. These are words that Jesus says, this is what I want my church to do. If you're my follower then you need to do certain things. And um, that's what today's lesson is. And it is pretty harsh, but it does, does give us some great comfort because we know what our task is in this world. Jesus does not mince word at words as to what we are supposed to be doing. And so with that kind of as a preamble, I just want to get into this. And if you can hear that, big loud train going by this morning. So. Uh, let's go over to Matthew 25 and just start into it and see what Jesus has to say, okay? Matthew 25. Verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are running out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. So instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So uh, obviously this is, this, this, is, this is a very challenging passage, right? Because what he's saying is that this is the kingdom. So the kingdom is basically Jesus uh, rose again and established a new kingdom on earth. And it's a kingdom that you or I are a part of, right? By, by virtue of his sacrifice and everything that Jesus did to bring us in the kingdom, we are firmly ensconced in the kingdom. And, and we live as children of the king. And he talks about wonderful benefits of being ch ch a child of the king. We've been sanctified and we've been justified. Uh, justified means that we've been brought into the kingdom. We are now under the control of the king. Sanctified means we now live by the king's rules. And the king has told us, yes, I will bring you into the kingdom. You're firmly ensconced in the kingdom, but don't live in the kingdom and become complacent, right? I have work for you to do. You're in my kingdom. You have all the rights and the benefits, but also there's a job for you to do. Uh, a Spider-Man would say, with great power comes great responsibility. My favorite Spider-Man quote, right? Because I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. Uh, with great power becomes great responsibility. So yes, you're in the kingdom, but don't be complacent. 
uh, keep working for the king, keep loving the king, because the king is going to come back. And when he comes back, he wants to see that you have been doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. So in the large sense, right, if we want to look at this in just uh, the kingdom sense, Jesus said, right, this is the kingdom and it's like this. Uh, this is a call to the church, right? And the call to the church is that you've got work to do. Uh, don't sit around and do nothing. You are called, each of us individually and together, as the church on earth, we have a mission. And Jesus gave us the mission. Go make disciples, teaching them to observe all that have commanded you uh, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what the church should be doing. And if the church stops doing that, they are not being faithful to the words that Jesus says, even here. Uh, and it is so easy, man, it is so easy for a church and uh, people in the church or individual congregations, it's so easy to lose sight of the fact that there is a mission of which Jesus has called us to do. And that mission is to expand the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world. Uh, and that starts with our own local community. It starts with the people that we know uh, that have not heard the message or don't understand the message or, uh, you know, the, 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 that haven't been baptized, that haven't been um, uh, taught to observe the things that Jesus is talking about. You know, taught to observe how to live your life, to, to live the life that Jesus, that God wants you to live in this world. And so we, we, we talk to, uh, we we bring that message to the people around us and then we get out larger and larger and larger until finally it's the end of the earth. That is the mission of the church. That is what God has called us to do. Um, but each of us individually have been called to do that also. So when the bridegroom comes back at the end of the age uh, and he, we all go with him into the wedding feast of all time, what Jesus says here is not everybody is going to go in with them because they're not going to be ready. So, I mean, obviously it begs the question, how can one be ready uh, to go in with Jesus at the end of time? Now, Paul later fleshes this out and he says, you go in, uh, you are ready when you, are, when you understand you've been redeemed by Jesus. Uh, for me, it's, it's understanding that through baptism, God has given me all the rights and privileges of the kingdom. So I'm ready, right? Uh, but I need to remain ready. I need to continue following Jesus and doing the work that he has for me to do. So if uh, I've been brought into the kingdom, if I've been justified, but I'm not necessarily understanding uh, that I'm in the kingdom, if I'm not living as a child of the king, if I'm not following the things that the king has called me to do, then when he comes back, I just may not be ready. I may be out doing something else uh, and I won't be ready to go in with him with, uh, at the end of time. Now, now, the reason why these are hard is because in our Protestant theology, we believe that Jesus saves, right? Uh, and that uh, as long as we remain in the kingdom, we follow him, whether we follow him well or follow him poorly, that the grace of Jesus Christ kind of covers us so that we're ready because of his grace. Um, and that is good Protestant theology to understand that. But Jesus isn't really even talking about that in this scripture. What he's talking about with pretty harsh punishment is just don't be complacent. Follow me and be ready for me because I'm gonna come. You're not gonna know what that time is and you just need to be ready. 
So the church needs to be pursuing the work of the church of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But each of us individually need to be ready to understand that at some time we're going to come to the end uh, of this life and Jesus is going to come to us. Now, this also brings up some interesting theology. Uh, and it's, it's uh, kind of my own understanding of what the end time is going to look like. Uh, I, I've talked to lots of people. I've, because obviously Jesus doesn't give a lot of information here. Here it is, three scenarios that he's giving about what the kingdom of heaven and the end time is like. And we have to parse just these three things and the rest of scripture and try to come up with a theology of what's gonna happen at the end of time. And I think that Jesus was very vague about it because I think if he was super, uh, if he laid out what the end times was gonna be like in its true and, and, and fantastic glory, I'm not sure that many of us wouldn't just say, okay, Lord, take me now, because it sounds so wonderful that I wanna be there with you in your presence. And I'm kinda of tired of this age that I'm living in now. But unfortunately, God does not do that. He says, yes, you're in this age. Yes, you have the struggles and the trials and the temptations and everything that goes with this age. The end is coming and trust me, it's beautiful. But don't concentrate on that. what that is. Just do the work that I've called you to and follow me, right? That's what Jesus has called us to. Because um, at some point in this life, uh, this uh, unless Jesus comes, unless the end comes before the end of our own life, uh, at some point, uh, and it could be for me today, right? I could give you this, this teaching on God's word and then tomorrow I could be gone. Or you could receive this teaching on God's word and tomorrow you might be gone. It's... Uh, we don't know the end hour. We know that it's coming, but each of us know that, that at some point we will breathe our last and our bodies will shut down. Now, what happens at that point? Uh, this is kind of my theory. It's nothing scriptural. But what I believe is that we go from a human existence where there is time and space and matter that God created out of nothing and then we're present with Jesus where there is no more time, space, or matter. So I believe that when we, when we breathe our last and God calls us home, I truly believe we are home with Jesus. We are safe in his arms. Now, the world keeps going on and time keeps going on, but we kind of move out of time. We're now safe with an eternal God with eternal time. Uh, so, so it is quite possible that when Jesus comes, when I, when I get to the end of my life, I might see Jesus in all of his glory and all, and the second coming, I might see it right then, but even though it hasn't happened in earthly time just yet, as a matter of fact, when we all die, we might see Jesus at the same time. We all might see judgment at the same time because, and there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of stuff written in scriptures, what this is going to look like. So we, you know, we're grasping at straws here. But for me, and what provides hope for me is that when I breathe my last, the next conscious thing that I will know is being present in the arms of Jesus. And what that looks like on earthly terms, I just don't know. Uh, Jesus doesn't give us a whole lot about that. But, but I believe that the judgment will happen um, and that uh, he will have judged me to be worthy because I am his precious child and he is my precious father uh, and I will live with him eternally. Uh, the earthly stuff, 
will pass away and we'll be with him and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and uh, we will live with him in that great existence called heaven forever. The great banquet feast, the great marriage feast of the lamb, the great seat at the table, everything that we talk about for the end time uh, is, is going to be it's going to come true because of Jesus and his work. Um, so we need to be ready. And how do you get ready? You just, you know, if, if this were my last day, you know, what would I do? Luther said if it was his last day, he'd plant a tree, right? He was perfectly fine knowing that he was ready when the bridegroom came. Uh, are you ready when the bridegroom comes? And being ready means A, being justified and sanctified, being in the kingdom. And B means doing the work that God has for you to do. Are you being faithful to the work? That's basically what Jesus is kind of intimating here, although he's not very clear. Um, and, it's, and it is also true that there are gonna be people, like at the time of Noah, that Jesus is gonna come and they're not gonna be ready. And they're gonna knock on the door uh, and, and he's gonna say, sorry, um, but, uh, but I'm not, you're not coming into the banquet feast. Uh, they're going to be shut out of the wedding. And that's, that is a horrifying thought. Uh, but you and I, because we've been redeemed, we've been bought and purchased, we are in the kingdom, uh, he's going to let us come into the wedding feast. Um, that's, that we know for sure. But he also calls us to be faithful to the calling that he's given us. All right? So we're going we're gonna to move on to because uh, to, he has two more things to reiterate this. So in verse 14, he says, again, it will be like it being the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, and see, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, see, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would at least have received this with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has, has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even when they have even when what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So um, this is also a harsh saying from Jesus, but what he's saying, remember this is a kingdom, is that I've given you a job and I've given you gifts 
and I've blessed each with of you. Now, Paul later describes the, that we each have gifts, you know, and some of us have different. Some of us are arms. Some of us are legs. Some of us are eyes, whatever. We each are different parts of the body of Christ. We've been, been given gifts. We are to use those gifts uh, to do the work of what he's called us to, the work of the kingdom. So we're not just supposed to sit around and be lazy, right? We're supposed to take the gifts that we've had and use them to further the kingdom, to do the mission that he's called us to do. And that is very, very clear. And what he says is that, yeah, some people he's given great gifts. He expects great things from you. Some, some he's given less gifts, but he wants you to maximize those gifts. The one thing he doesn't want you to do is to take your gift and hide it and not use it, right? Um, and if you don't, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth at the end of the age. Now, you, you can interpret this you know, in several different ways, that he gives you gifts and you don't use them uh, and you don't understand that you're in the kingdom and you don't follow him and maybe you fall away from even being in the kingdom. Uh, that is possible, perhaps one interpretation. And so you get to the end of the age and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because you're not you know, with Jesus forever in his kingdom, the earthly kingdom. Another way to look at this may be that he's given you gifts, but you just don't open the gifts. And so they say that they stay there dormant. So you get to the end of the age and you're weeping and gnashing of teeth because there was so much things that God gave you on this earth and you didn't even think to stop and pause to use those gifts. I'm, you know, there's different ways that you can interpret this and Jesus isn't very clear about it. But the point is, Jesus does give us gifts. And if you don't want to be weeping and gnashing of teeth at the end of the age, simply use the gifts to however God has gifted you, whether it's 10 bags or five bags or two bags or one bag of gold, whatever it is, use it to the glory of God. I kind of liken this to uh, the fact that, you know, the seed of faith has been planted in us. And as we grow in our faith, the root system gets stronger and bigger and healthier so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. Uh, it says in Luke that, you know, that, that the faith is planted, the roots grow and birds come and nest on our branches and there's fruit, right? In other words, you can be a little tree and not bear fruit, uh, or you can be a big tree and provide shade and fruit for the world around us. And when you do that, you are fulfilling the work that God has for you in this world. Uh, you're becoming the person that God wants you. You're, you're this big oak tree with big roots that are planted by the living stream, providing shade and shelter and nourishment and fruit and all that to the world around us. And that, you know, that is definitely being the person that God calls you to be. That is not just kind of squirreling it away in the, away in the ground. Squirreling it away in the ground, squirreling away your gifts in the ground is understanding uh, you know, that, it, that you are in the kingdom, but that you never, you never live as a child of the king. You never share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know? and the worst thing that I can think of for any Christian is to have been called into the kingdom, have been blessed with so many gifts, and just squander those gifts away. You never use them. Uh, that to me would be would be like uh, a, a worse than death, right? Knowing uh, at the end of time all the great things that God could have done through you, uh, but you don't. But he did. He, you know, you didn't. You didn't use those gifts. So that's a that's a very sad thing, and it's an unfortunate thing. So my call to you as a Christian is to to use the gifts that God's called you to, to that he's God, God's called you to, 
take, learn how he's called you, how he's made you, informed you. Are you a hand? Are you a foot? Are you an eye? And use that gift to the best of your ability uh, so that when the bride comes, you will have said, he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my kingdom. So that's the second one. The third one, though, is a little bit more stark. So let's, let's get into that one. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king replied, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. But then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So this is probably some of the most harsh words that Jesus has in all of Matthew, for sure. Uh, And that is basically, he's called us to use our hands and feet to love the world around us. And what that loving means uh, is feeding and clothing and nourishing and being the church in a world that needs a church. So uh, even at a time like this with a pandemic, God is calling us as a church, each uh, you know, collectively and individually, to love the world around us, to serve the world around us, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit those in prison. Um, that's what he's called us to do. And it's not just those things. Those are just typical things. But it's basically using the gifts that he has given us to love the world around us. Well, how much of the gifts should we be using, right? Well, in the Old Testament... Uh, you know, there was, it was a tithe and an offering, right? The tithe was, was basically 10% and then the offering was anything over than that. But basically, in the New Testament, all that went away. Uh, the Old Testament law is no longer there. The Old Testament law was put there. I believe the 10% was put there because people like percentages, right? Like, what is the bare minimum that I need to do, right? And so God says, okay, here's 10%. If you do that, then basically you're not... Uh, you know, hoarding the, the gifts that I've given you because you're sharing them with the world. But everyone is different. We all have time. We all have talents. We all have treasures. Now we live in the New Testament. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. That's all I'm going to call you to do. That will look different for different people. Um, you know 
I believe each Christian knows individually, am I giving of myself enough or am I, am I taking? Because if everybody takes, right, there's nothing left over. But if everyone gives, there's abundance. And each of us in our own, in our own mind know when we're giving enough and when we're not giving enough, right? And I'm not talking just, you know, giving to the church. I'm talking about giving up of ourselves, our time and our talent and our treasures at work, at school, at play, or whatever we live our life, however we're living our life, you know, how are we using the resources that God has given us to change the world, to bless the world around us? Um, and each of us know what that answer is because each of us has been given time, talent, and treasure that we can use to the world around us. So every time we do anything, you know, we're, uh, if we buy anything, you know, we're, we're using the time, talent, and treasure uh, for either our own benefit, you know, our own good and, and our own use, or we're using it for other people, for their, you know, to love the world around us. And each of us has to struggle with that, uh, you know, what that looks like. But Jesus, but the, but the point is clear, and it's actually kind of very clear, is that if we do not use the gifts that God has given us to bless the world around us, if we do not feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the prison and sick or, and love the world around us, if we are not like the Good Samaritan crossing over to the road and, and taking the man who is beaten and taking him to the inn and taking care, if we do not do those types of things, his words are pretty harsh. He's basically saying he's gonna separate the sheeps, those that do, from the goats, and the sheep are going to go with him into everlasting life, and the goats are going to go into eternal flame. And that's a very, very, very difficult saying. But you have to understand that all of the theology that Paul talks about hasn't been revealed yet. Jesus is talking about how he wants people in his kingdom to act. And the way he wants us to act, if we're the sheep, right, we're in his kingdom, how he wants us to act is to love our neighbors, that should be second nature to us. The one bit of grace in this whole thing actually comes um, uh, in, in verse 37. And I just wanna look at it again. He says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick in prison and go to visit you? So, and the one thing that comes out of this that is a sp the little spark of grace is that we don't even know when we're doing it sometimes, right? Uh, he's called us to love. When you are in the kingdom and you start stepping out in faith and you're living, living as a child of the king with all the rights and the privileges of the kingdom, uh, they just flow out of you. They flow out of you almost naturally. Uh, some big ways, some little ways. But when you're in the kingdom and the, and the Holy Spirit is living in your life, these are the things that God can do through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as it says here, you don't even know that you're doing it. Uh, so it's not even necessarily an active, conscious thing that you're doing to follow Jesus and to follow his call. Uh, when you become a child of king and live in the kingdom, these things just naturally flow out of you. Uh, so it's not like we're doing them to be saved. We're saved and we do them because the power of God's spirit is working through us to do these types of things. Uh, and that is like the nugget of grace that's in this whole thing. Remember, we, we develop God's grace later uh, in when Paul comes onto the scene. That's why God called Paul to really 
develop a richness of grace in that theology. Um, but the one thing that we can know for sure, absolute know for sure, is that uh, we are in the kingdom because God sent his son, Jesus, into this world to buy and purchase us. Uh, we have come into the kingdom and he loves us to be into the kingdom uh, and we serve him in the kingdom. And when we do that, we, we are blessed because we have used what we've given to be the hands and feet of God in the world around us. So this is one of the last teachings of Jesus. Uh, pretty soon he's going to the cross. So um, it's hard words, but it's good words because it gives us a roadmap of what he wants us to do to be in the, if we're gonna be a child of the king. Uh, so let's go to him in prayer. Gracious God, you've given us so much time, talent, treasure, to love you, to serve you. Uh, these are hard words, but there are words that we need to hear because we need you to hold us accountable to you so that when you come back, uh, that we are we're ready, we've taken the gifts that you've given and we've used them for your kingdom. Uh, so at the end of time, we, we will know without a shadow of a doubt that we are firmly ensconced in your kingdom and that we will go away with you in everlasting glory. Uh, help us to serve you even in times of lockdown and viruses. Uh, help us to be your hands and feet even now. Uh, until we meet again tomorrow, keep us in your grace. Uh, in your son's name we pray.